Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Talk Recorded live. Good evening, everybody. It is Saturday, November 19th, 2016. And we are here tonight with Monty Montgomery. And so tonight uh, we have uh, um, an actual uh, live case to deal with. We have Ronald here with us tonight, who has a case where he was—he's having to deal with a bogus criminal charge, where he was accused of something that wasn't really a crime, or he didn't do, or whatever the case may be. So uh, we're gonna work with uh Ronald Samani was there anything you wanted to say or mention before we get started um actually I think I'm ended up having to say it quite a bit but okay um is this in Oregon yes okay that helps city um, of Portland huh city of oh, Portland city, city of Portland okay well, 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 um, yeah, I know. I was born in Oregon, so I know all about it. Um, let's see. Okay, the only other question I have is, um, <clears throat> do you have your paperwork there? Uh, come again, please. Do you have your paperwork within reach? Uh I have some of it. It's in a pack. I wasn't. I. I, I didn't really plan on having much of it with me. Um, uh, but, but I have it. It's in. It's in the same room here with me, about ten feet from me. It's in a pack. I just have to go through it and unwrap it. I. It's in plastic. Well, maybe you can do this from memory. You're being charged under one six two point two four seven. That sounds right. It's uh, interfere with peace officer business. Well, the statute says interfering with peace officer, parole, or probation officer. Correct. Okay. So at Um, at some point I'd like to have Ronald maybe go over a brief um, description of the issue so that the audience can can follow along. Well, let him do that first, and then we'll get into remedies. All right. So, Ronald, why don't you tell us all briefly what the situation is. Okay. <clears throat> it was the 19th of October, 2015, which was a Monday. I had been parked on what is private land, actually held by one of the entities of the city of Portland, a non-taxed entity, in checking with the uh, county tax office. They're not paying taxes on this land. They've possessed it. Uh, since the early 90s. This particular land is about a three or four acre lot on 111th between Foster and Harold in the city of Portland in the county of Multnomah. Um, 
I've been parked here for 42 days. There are no signs posted. Of no, there's no, there are not any signs that say no trespassing by any agency of the state, city, or county here on this section of road uh, barring this piece of ground. Uh, there was a fence. There was a fence, a cyclone fence, also been uh, put into this ground far enough in on the, the land itself, on the lot, so that you could park six semi-tractor trailers there, and they would not be on state, county, or city access. And in so fact, the had, so they, in other words, they had a parking lot in front of their fence. Yes, yes. That parallels 111, southeast 111. And uh, we were also parked two feet to the east, and this is, we were parked on the east side of 111. We were also parked two feet east of the PGE poles. And as a civil service came out, who was on a first-name basis with a, another man who was parked behind me with his, his house trailer, he had been there 35 days when the civil service lady came out to visit him because they, they were on a first-name basis. Uh, and he had asked her, I witnessed the conversation, I, and he had asked her, um, I wasn't in earshot of this, but I asked after she left, I went up and spoke to uh, Tyrone and asked what the conversation was about, and he told me. But he asked her, he said, well, how come, how come you're not busting my balls? How come you haven't written me any, any tickets yet or anything for being parked here? And she said, well, Tyrone, it just so happens you, you happen to be uh, in a little safe zone here where you're at. We call it no man's land. Uh, you're, on, you're on private land and you're far enough within the, uh, you're far enough away from PGE pole that you're, you have, we can't bother you. We can't bother you here, Tyrone. And uh, so... I learned just from asking, you know, what his conversation was with her after the fact. And and I had been there at that point. Well, when this incident took place, I had been there 42 days, and Tyrone had been there 35 days. And so uh, what, what started this fiasco was they found reason to pull Tyrone's trailer, house trailer. He had built a wiki up uh, on the back of a, on the top of a boat trailer which some three years prior had been stolen and and uh, he now possessed it. But he had been allowed to possess it and hadn't been hassled by it before by the city police until this particular time, day, and location because the way he was living there was pretty obnoxious and they just got tired of looking at it. Uh, a couple of this is an this is on this is an industrial zoned area as well. There are businesses there, but no residential. Uh, up on the other side of 111 near Harold is some residential, but it's a zone. It's zoned for industry. We've got tow storage lots and businesses and, and heavy industry in there. So they told they told Tyrone that uh, he could either be arrested for this possession of this stolen boat trailer with this house he built on it, or he could just let them take the uh, the boat trailer with the house on it. And it was when they played judge, jury, and executioner that I went over there to ask them what they felt their jurisdiction was. I wanted to know if they would say they, where they were at, you know, because I have this understanding that uh, they're acting as though they're 
in the territory, which ends within 10 square miles of, of the District of Columbia. And they weren't county officers, and there was no verified complaint from anybody with an injury there in the neighborhood. So I asked them a couple of jurisdictional questions, and Mr. Tyrone mentioned to me the following day, whereby I had gotten out of the dungeon, and I just wanted to ask him what he felt he witnessed. And he said, well, Ronald, he said, uh, first of all, I appreciate you sticking up for me, which you didn't have to do, but he said uh, you seemed to ask them some intelligent questions that they either couldn't answer or didn't want to answer. Then they got mad, and they, they just uh, attacked you. And it was at that time where they went over and analyzed my sewer pipe on my 30-foot house trailer that I was living from while I was attached to the truck. And it was, like I said, it was the 19th of October. It was about 10 a.m. About 10 a.m. that morning. And I watched them all watch it for about 10, uh, 10 minutes. They sat and watched it. And finally, one drop of crystal clear water came from the pipe. And it hadn't actually been used uh, in over two years at that point. And so when that one drop came, they all kind of jumped for joy like they had a valid reason. They did not state nor say anything to me, but they acted like that was their reason. And then next thing I know, they were uh, ordering a tow on, on my truck and trailer. And when the tow truck driver operator arrived, I was standing there in front of the, the left door to the cab of the truck, and I asked him uh, what his uh, authority was to think he had the right to take my my personal property. And he said, that cop over there. And uh, then the sergeant walked over, and uh, he said, Strasser, if you don't get out of my, if you don't get the, he said, use the word fuck. He said, if you don't get the fuck out of my face right now, I'm going to arrest you for interfering with my business. And I said, well, I said, that's what we've been trying to establish here is what's your jurisdictional business here today. As I walked away, because I believe full and well, the way he was acting, and from my experience, he was going to do just that. I wasn't in the mood for being arrested. Uh, so I, I walked, uh, and as I got to the rear of my truck to step across the hitch of the house trailer, I was grabbed from behind by the other three and uh, nearly pulled to the ground, but I maintained my ability, and then they cuffed me up, and they, I had them drag me across the road because I wasn't going freely. I wasn't consenting. I wasn't trying to make it easy for them, but uh, they did drag me across the road and stuffed me in the backseat of the car whereby I was arrested for allegedly interfering with peace officer business. Had not been trespassed, had not been trespassed. Deed holders of the land had not trespassed me. I had no verbal or written complaints from anybody in the community anywhere that I had done anything. And like I said, at that, at that day and time, I had been there for 42 days. Unbothered anyone. Somebody's breaking up. Oh, I'll mute it. Sorry. Go ahead, Ronald. That pretty much covers the uh, the incident. Okay. I just for I just for drill, you know, when they lay these when they lay this paper against that uh, that all cap name <clears throat> with these with this with this coded language, I generally will go down to archives in Salem just to learn the legislative intent 
behind the statute. And thus far, I've never found any statute whereby it was intended by the legislature to impede anyone's right to life, liberty, or the pursuit of happiness, as was the case with this statute, as Monty disclosed at the beginning of this call. It said that uh, the, the officer must be, in order for this statute to be in effect, he must be performing his lawful police duties. Well, I'm not named in that statute, number one. and I was on private land, number two. I had not been trespassed by anything or any man, number three. Uh, therefore, there was no reason for him order, uh, pillaging, plundering uh, my, my property, my personal effects. Okay. I'm not going to challenge any of those three points, but what they seized was property evidenced by the plates on it that they hold the title to. They can do what they want with their property. I can't really refute that too much, although I did have a... uh, Oh, no, I didn't. That's right. I hadn't done that yet. I hadn't got that property onto the UCC as of yet. Right. So I can't refute that. I, I've heard that discussion. I believe you're probably accurate there in that statement. Well, hell, the license plate is evidence of it. Yeah, yeah. like I say, I, I wouldn't disagree with you. You can't get license plates unless you turn the title of the property over to the state. It's like I say, from what I've learned, you know, I I believe you're exactly right. I just, what you're hearing from me, the recalcitrant is my implants, you know. I believe since I was a very young boy, it was my property, but I agree with you. You're right. You're exactly right. Okay, now, um, that's kind of a side issue. The, um, as far as exactly what you were charged with, uh, so from your description, you didn't physically interfere with what he was doing, right? That's correct. Okay. Well, the um, Oregon Constitution, are you from Oregon? Uh, I was actually born in uh, Vancouver, Washington. Okay. Um, so I was told. All right. Okay. Um, <clears throat> under the Oregon Constitution, Article 1, Section 8, it says, No law shall be passed restraining the free expression of opinion or restricting the right to speak on any subject whatever. So as far as the statute, you were, if you didn't physically interfere with them, all you're doing was expressing an opinion. Uh, where's the enabling authority? In fact, I wasn't even expressing opinion. I was asking, I was asking him for his, his jurisdiction. I was asking him what lawful business he felt he, he had there. So you're exercising your right to speak on any subject, whatever. Um, Okay, Section 9 of Article 1, again, Oregon Constitution, 
says, no law shall violate the right of the people to be secure in their persons and effects. It says other things as well, but effects. When you look up dower, dowry, and uh, endowment, which your rights are in an endowment, you see the word effects in the definition. Against unreasonable search or seizure. So what they did was they not only seized your body, they seized your right. They violated your right to be secure in your rights. One of which is to express your, um, to speak on whatever subject you want. <clears throat> okay, again, where's the enabling authority on what they did? So section 10 says that justice shall be administered without purchase. Every man, it doesn't say every person, it says every man, hmm, shall have remedy by due course of law for injury done him in, in his person, property, or reputation. Property includes rights. Section 33. This enumeration of rights and privileges shall not be construed to, to impair or deny others retained by the people. So we've got a whole stack of constitutional provisions here which enable you to say, where is your enabling authority? Where's the enabling authority for the legislature of Oregon to enact an, a statute that contravenes this Constitution in these articles specifically? Uh, the state of Oregon or any of its instrumentalities, which would include the city of Portland, county of Multnomah. They're all instrumentalities. Am I making sense so far? Clear sense. Okay. Now, I'm going to bring up something else. Uh, I'll get back to this, but I'm going to bring up something else. Uh, Tad, um, oh, I found the, the Oregon statutes that correspond to the Idaho statutes on arrest and arrest procedure. Okay. Citizen's arrest is under ORS uh, 133.220, and also under 133.225, and also uh, as far as using lethal force in affecting the arrest, that's covered under ORS 161.255. <coughs> Also, in Oregon, Oregon's, uh, unlike Idaho, does have official misconduct statutes. And it's generally classed, uh, in, a, in the first degree, it's at classed as a misdemeanor. Um, that's at uh, ORS 162415. Um, to give you some idea, on this official misconduct, the importance of it, our, um, that Colorento I'm working on right now, of mine. Okay. Uh, I 
put in here in one of the whereases, right at the very end. Not quite. Okay, whereas by virtue of the declaratory and restrictive Article 7 of Amendment 1st to the Supreme Law of the Land, 1789-1791, there is no enabling authority which empowers the legislative power, the executive power, or the judicial power to directly or indirectly abolish, supplant, circumvent, or otherwise supersede the common law or its remedies brought to this country from England and this is this part's quoted out of Article Six. Anything in the Constitution or laws of any state to the contrary notwithstanding. Where did you read this? It said Article Seven, the First Amendment. Yeah, Bill of Rights. Bill of Rights is one article. I mean one amendment. It has seven articles. It's a standalone document. It has its own preamble. It has articles, just like the Constitution. And those articles, those ten articles, are declaratory and restrictive in the preamble, which means every exercise of every power created under the United States Constitution has to pass muster with those ten articles. So... Was the was the article in the First Amendment of the Ten Amendments to the Bill of Rights, or was it the Seventh Amendment to the Ten Amendments to the Bill of Rights, the First Amendment in the Seventh Amendment? First article in the Seventh Amendment. How was that stated the correctly? First amend, the First Amendment to the United States Constitution had ten articles. First Amendment. There is no such, there is no such thing as Amendment 1, Amendment 2. Amendment 3. The first 10 are articles of one amendment. And the Constitution itself was, con the ratification of the Constitution itself was conditioned on those, or that amendment, or those articles being added. Okay, so you're saying that the Bill of Rights was the first article? <clears throat> no, I'm saying it's the first amendment. Well, excuse me. The, first, the Bill of Rights is the is the First Amendment, which contains ten articles. Which contains ten articles. Read the documents. What it says right on the document. Okay. okay. So <clears throat> anyway. That's what I put in this uh, uh, writ I'm doing, um, basically rubbing their nose in it, because when you put that within the context of Article 6 of the Supreme Law of the Land, it says anything in the Constitution or laws, that's the Supremacy Clause, anything in the Constitution or laws of any state to the contrary notwithstanding. Yes. So they can't do away, constitutionally or otherwise, they cannot do at the state level. They cannot do away with the common law of England. And that's secured by Article 7 
of the First Amendment. So, um, does that make sense? Yes, it does. And the First Amendment, as you described, I've never said that way. The First Amendment, as you described, is the Ten Amendments or Bill of Rights to the Constitution. No, no, they're not. They're they're ten articles of one amendment upon which the instrument, the Constitution itself, was conditioned. There isn't any other so-called amendment to the Constitution that is declaratory or restrictive. Uh-oh. Yeah, never mind. So the so-called amendments 11 through, what is it, 28 or 29, wherever they're at on it now, none of those are uh, declaratory and restricted because if they're declaratory, nobody can monkey with them. Even we the people can't, unless we do away with the Constitution itself. You can't. I mean, how are you going to amend or change the Declaration of Independence? You can't. So if the First Amendment is declaratory, how are you going to change it? Can't change it. You can't change it through the amendment process. Through a new convention, I suppose, only, huh? No, like I said, you'd have to do away with the Constitution, period, to get rid of that's it. What I, that's, that's what I meant. That's what I meant, yeah. Yeah. Okay. <clears throat> Let's move on. Uh, I want to bring this back to your case. Um, so you were incarcerated, right? Yes, I was. Okay. Well, okay. I I don't want to get into the semantics on it. Sure. You were were incarcerated, and did you put your signature on anything to obtain your release? Uh, All rights reserved without prejudice. Well, at least you put a restriction on it. Um, What I want to point out here... That was all I wrote. Okay, the um, there's a, something you need to be should be aware of here. Um, this kind of goes back to the Roger Elpick days. Um, the bail or the if you're released on bail or even if you're released on an OR uh, on recognizance form, that instrument is the bond on the transaction. And at the same time, it is the consideration on a contract with the court as an instrumentality of the corporate state. And it was the OR status. Okay. So what they did was they used your authority and your credit to create the bond on that security instrument. Because the SEC requires that all security instruments be bonded. So your signature authorized that. Without prejudice. <laughs> well, that doesn't mean anything uh, in terms of what we're what I'm saying here. I follow you. <clears throat> it protects you on on a different front, but not on that. You your signature is evidence that you authorized the bonding, uh, the issuance and bonding on that security instrument. But you're calling my signature the words all right reserved without prejudice. Is that clear? 
I'm referring to that restriction on your signature as affecting your legal. I, I didn't. I didn't. I didn't write the my, I didn't write the name down. I didn't use my name on the document. I only wrote. I reserve all rights without prejudice. I did not write Ronald Kenneth Strasser hyphen colon. I did not write that. I only wrote on the document. I reserve all my rights without prejudice. Period. That's what I put on the signature line. I just I just wanted you to be clear for your talk. Oh, so you didn't put a signature on it. I did not write the name on there, nowhere. I only wrote, I reserve all my rights without prejudice. That's the only thing I wrote on the signature line. That's probably why they're having, that's probably why they're having a problem getting you arraigned. Um, I mean, I, okay, I, I give you my word. That's all I wrote. I'm in the habit of okay, doing that. Okay, Ronald, we got it. We got it. We got it. Okay. Um, okay. Now, the um, you're still not beyond the uh, um, arraignment stage. Well, uh, I don't know where they've got me. You know, I really just for this conversation, I really feel somewhere that I've co-mingled. I've been asking them to settle and close this matter for discharge. I've asked them. Uh, at least three times to do this, and yet here I am on the seventh. I'll be this will be the 18th time, and at least four of those times, maybe six, they set it up for trial. You know, which right now it's set up again for trial, and they really wanted to emphasize that this time it's really going. They brought more attorneys in there. They had a couple extra from the DA's office, and they just really went through a little ecstasy of of, uh, of uh, drama that uh, wanted for me to believe that they're really going to trial this next time, which has been scheduled for the 8th of December. But okay. they've had it scheduled for trial at least four, maybe a half a dozen times. All right. Whereby I go in and it's the same old thing. Now, are you are you going to be able to replay this? Or are you going to take notes? I'm uh, I'm I'm taking notes. Okay, what you need to file into the case <clears throat> is a document. Now the header you can use their header if you want, or if you want to get well, I don't even want to go there. I've got another header I've used before, but it raises their hackles. If I would, if I would, if I would say anything, I would like to say this uh, because I don't. I know that I don't know what I don't know, and and I'm I'm uh, I, I'm I'm leaning to you and your expertise and knowledge. Uh, let's do something that you would like to see done. Well, and okay, and just use, and just use. Let's keep it simple. Just use their court header. It's usually the court name in all caps. Circuit court or municipal. Circuit. Okay. So you're in a court of general. All right. State of Oregon. Yeah, you're in a court of general jurisdiction. Okay. Um, You know, and it has the case number, and then on the caption on the left hand side, what you want to use, you start it with your title case name. Okay. As plaintiff? As plaintiff? No, not yet. 
Um, and then uh, common behind your title case name, and I usually put it in italics, in SE. Uh, that, that last part of what you said broke up. In SE, E S S E. Two words. N S E S S E. E S S E. N S E. That's you, in essence. Comma behind that, again in italics. Sui juris. S U I J U R I S. Then the next line below that, you put aggrieved intervener of necessity. Okay. <clears throat> then you put the versus, the S. Put oh yeah, right. Uh-huh. Uh-huh, right. Okay, now now who's who's charging you, the state or the city or the county? State of Oregon. Okay, good. All caps? All caps. Okay, that's the next thing you put in. State of Oregon, all caps. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and then you put in below that, in upper lower case, federal tax registered corporation okay entity and okay. nominal and nominal party plaintiff Okay. In fraud. Okay. And below that, you put whatever they're using. For the, are they using your full name in all caps or just your name, middle initial, and all that? Uh, they've, they've used the uh, uh, first and last name, first, last name, middle initial, and all caps. Okay, whatever, however they use that in all caps, that's what goes in next below the second verses. Okay. <clears throat> and then below that, you put alter ego, politically crafted, that's a hyphenated word. Okay, alter ego. Alter ego, politically crafted, that's hyphenated. Okay. Politically crafted. Persona ficta. Persona ficta. Yeah, it's P-E-R-S-O-N-A. And then F-I-C-T-A-A. Or, I'm sorry, F-I-C-T-A. Got it. Nominal party defendant in fraud. 
Okay. Then uh, on the right side of that, that's all there is that goes in that caption. What you've done is you've okay. flipped it around on them. Um, on the right-hand side, you put verified, which means you're going to have to certify this under perjury. Verified notice and demand. Okay. For bill of particulars. Okay. In the nature of. In, you said. Excuse me. You said in the nature of. In the nature of. Uh huh. Quo warranto. Q U O. Those are uh, proper nouns. W A R. Yeah, W A R R A N T O. Mm-hmm. Then you move down a little ways and you put um, appearing specially and not generally. Okay. Of necessity, comma, okay, arising by et armis, arising, yes, a r i s i n g, yep, arising by et armis, b i e t. There's a three by at, by at Armis, A-R-M-I-S. Okay. Got it. In other words, you're appearing out of necessity, which excuses the law, and you're appearing, um, and that appearance is arising out of force of arms. Arising by, by Armis. Yeah. And by the way, that's how you can qualify a citation or a whatever. That's how you can qualify a signature. And, uh, and by it, armus is, is Latin, and it means what again? By force of arms. By force of arms, okay. Mm-hmm. It totally invalidates and repudiates any contractual instrument you, you might put your signature on. Okay. Contractual instruments have to be voluntary. Um, <clears throat> so... Um, Now, in this document, you, do you understand how a bill of particulars works? Uh, I could, you, you, would you like me to give my best shot for you? To let you see what see what I don't know? I think you can do it in a couple of sentences. Yeah. Uh, the bill of particulars would be would be the the stuff to validate their claim. Exactly right, but it's in the nature of a cormorento. So you're asking, what is their authority? Okay. All right. Now we go back to what I started off with, and that's Article 1, Section 8, 9, and 10, uh, and 33 of the Oregon Constitution, 
Where does the legislature, where do they get their enabling authority? Where does the legislature get its enabling authority to, um, or where do they, how, where's the enabling authority that empowers them to compel you, and compel is a very important word, compel you to surrender or otherwise subordinate your constitution secured rights to mere stats, public policy statutes. Where's their authority that compels me to give up my rights, my unalienable rights? Right. That's another way of saying it. Um, <clears throat> I like to close all the doors. Well, you have a nicer way of you have a more explicit, more correct way of saying it. But I'm I'm limited on my my language uh, and grammar skills, so I do appreciate your use of the words. Right. Well, I understand that, and you're not alone in that either. Um, now, one of the things you can demand in that, since it is a bill of particulars, uh, is a certified copy, which means somebody's got a certified under penalty of perjury, certified copy of the mandatory Article 6 oath subscribed by each of all the legal participants exercising a public authority. That means the cops, the judge, the prosecutor, everybody. Certified copy of the Article 6 oath. <clears throat> it's mandatory. Anything in the Constitution and the laws of the state notwithstanding. Mm-hmm. Okay? <clears throat> now, uh, another thing you can uh, do um, is you can uh, ask for the Securities and Exchange Commission tracking number on the claim form or the charging instrument, which would, it doesn't matter if it's an information, indictment, citation, whatever. It's a, it's a security, and it has to have a, a security tracking number. And it's supposed to have a QCIP number, too. You can ask for that. And for this conversation, QCIP again stands for? Oh, God, I thought you'd ask me that. I've forgotten it. It's an acronym. <laughs> Tad knows it. He'll tell us. I heard it, and I forgot it, too. Yeah. <laughs> you can look it up online. Um <clears throat> Now, the um, you understand the term nomen is a Latin term. Nomen, N O M A N. No, N O M E N. Okay, I've it's a Latin seen it. term. It's a Latin term, and in the civil law, it means a name, the name, style, or designation of a person. And most people know that. But what they don't know is it also is defined as a debt or a debtor. That's worth remembering. I'll let you I'll let you uh chase that rabbit later. Okay. Um, and another note I wanted to put in here, the state routinely makes so called quote unquote criminal claim and proceeds on the basis of violation of a statute 
which is the corpus juris side of it. However, in order to justify, constitutionally justify, the use of criminal process, the state must also positively identify a corpus delicti, in fact, which is typically not done and hardly anyone demands that it be done. Victimless crimes might be a part of penal law, but they do not exist in criminal law. So when you ask for the corpus delicti, you're saying, who's who's the uh, injured uh, party making the claim here uh, for criminal causation injury? And what is the injury? You can demand that they produce that as well. And what was the first part before the corpus delicti? What was the one thing you said? Corpus All juris. That's corpus the body juris. of the law. That's the body of the law. That's one of the elements required. But to use criminal process, they also have to identify a corpus delicti, which is the body of the crime. In other so words, corpus what, juris, they have to show what law. They have to show what law was violated and who was injured by it. Typically, all they do is show what law is violated, but they don't identify who was injured by it and what the injury was. That's how they operate today, unless you force them to. So that can go into this document as well. That's like saying, uh, what's, the, what's, the, what's the corpus juris you use to abrogate my, my, my rights? No, they're saying the corpus juris of this case is ORS 162.247, which is a statute, and it's inferior to your uh, Constitution. Okay. So they've already told you what the corpus juris is, but they have not told you what the corpus delicti is. Now, I'm going to move this into another document that you can do. And you can do this indefinitely. You can do it one right after the other. We've actually done that. I think we did three or four judges in a row. And it's typically referred to as an affidavit of prejudice. But there's a certain way you have to do it. Um, use the same kind of uh, header that I gave you before. Caption and all. Mm-hmm. Only on the right side of this one, you put... Verified notice of prejudicial conflict of interest. Verified notice of prejudicial conflict of interest. In relation to Article 3. Of the, of the Constitution of the State of Oregon, and that's title case on the State of Oregon. Whenever you, you refer to a, a document that establishes a state or the United States or whatever, you style it exactly because that's the instrument that brought that entity into existence. That's how you style it. Okay. And it's styled in title case. The State of Oregon, all caps, is just an instrumentality. Okay. 
Now, that's what this document is. And the same thing you put in... Um, uh, at the bottom, the uh, thing about not a, it's not a general, uh, general appearance. Mm -hmm. Special. Right. <clears throat> so what this am amounts to is, oh, and below, I'm sorry, there's one thing you put in below that, verified notice and demand for, uh, verified, let's say, oh, verified notice of prejudicial conflict of interest, da, da, da. Um, you put, uh, oh, God, I spaced it. I do a lot of this stuff out of my head, so I, uh, sometimes I lose it. Um, oh, demand for recusal. You have to demand that he recuse himself from the case. Does that need to be done in writing? That means a guy wearing the black robe. I follow you, but does that have to be done in writing on the morning thereof? Or prior to? Well, he's got to address it. If he doesn't, then you got him for misconduct. Um, <clears throat> and now the basis for this you have to you have to demonstrate that there is prejudice there, and that there is a conflict of interest. So the way you do that is um, first of all, I'm going to ask you: Do you know the difference between a judicial oath and a, an executive oath? I I do not, but I do understand the conflict. There's many of them. Well, okay, but you want to confine it to what is going to work. Okay. So, <clears throat> difference between a judicial oath and an executive oath is the judicial oath says they'll uphold the Constitution of the United States and the Constitution of the state, and that's it. When they take an oath that says they're going to uphold the Constitution and laws, that's an executive oath. Oh, well, and what is that what is that oath that they that they alleged to have to keep, which I've always been able to find them there? Well, where uh, the conflict that, yeah, where the conflict comes in is they in Oregon anyway, they can't be a judge unless they're a member of the bar. Correct. The constitution and the statutes require that they take a judicial oath. However, where the conflict comes in, you can find this online. It's called the Oath of Office for Admission to Practice to the Practice of Law in Oregon. Executive Oath of Office to Practice in Oregon? Yeah, because it, it's executive because it says at the end, and that I will support the Constitution and laws of the United States and of the state of Oregon. Oh, I see. So it's built, it's built into their one oath, otherwise known as the judicial oath, because it has that explicit language in that one oath. No. You look up the, the oath. If you go down to the county courthouse in Multnomah County and ask for the oath on this judge, whoever they've assigned to it, if you read it, 
it complies with the Constitution, it complies with the statutes, it makes no mention that he'll support the laws. Just the Constitution of the United States, Constitution of Oregon. Where the problem comes in is that he can't be a judge unless he's also admitted to the bar. And the bar oath is an executive oath. Okay. What you got here, what he has is a conflict of interest that's in violation of Article 3 of the Oregon Constitution, which mandates a separation of powers. So the bars put their foot in their own mouth of this. Um, if you want a little history on that, the Oregon State Bar Association was established in 1890 by lawyers. And in 1935, the Oregon legislature, which is mostly bar members, created the Oregon State Bar as a public corporation. What year was that? 1935. 1935. This public corporation is part of the Oregon Judicial Department. So what you've got is a violation of Article 3, first of all. Secondly, this oath, uh, this oath of office for admission to the bar um, is an oath to the to a corporation. The other oath, like judicial, the other oath, like judicial oath, is given to the people. Okay. You see the difference? Yes, I do. That's exactly why this judge has a conflict of interest. So you put this document in and tell him to get the hell off the bench. And the next one that comes in, you do the same thing to him. If he's got a bar number, you can go online to the state bar and get the number on any of these attorneys or any of these judges. Yes, you can. And the bar number is proof positive that they've taken that oath because they can't get that number unless they do. Yeah, they all have a bar number. Right. And they can't get that number by the rules of the Supreme Court. They cannot get that number until they've taken the oath of admission. You're the first man that's put it in this context for me, ever. Uh, I'm not surprised at that. <laughs> um, <clears throat> Maybe that's why they've tried to kill me three times. Um, so well, You know, they killed, they killed, they killed the man uh, that was famous for the Coral Warranto. Uh, Cold Hard, he wrote the book Cold Hard Facts. He was living in Oklahoma and a traitor. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah. They, I, used, they, I used to know his name. I used to have his name memorized, but he was a, we used to love to talk to him. Yeah. Well, the problem with this is that when you win cases on the basis of this kind of thing, they generally seal it. They seal the case because they don't want anybody else catching on. In fact, he went by the name Kwai Tam. That was his yeah. pen name. I remember that. Um, and I learned that about sealing the cases uh, from Roger Elbert out of Wyoming. I know. I, I'm familiar with Roger Elbert. I know, know people that uh, quite love the man well. Oh, he was a very lovable guy. He was an elderly man. Really knew his step on the UCC. And he really caused him some problems. He, so wrote they, thousands of, he wrote thousands of checks on a closed account and was only ever prosecuted for two. Right, and he, won, yeah. and, he, and he won both of those, but those cases are sealed. Yes. 
because they gave him a choice. They said, we're going to go ahead and prosecute, or if you agree to let us seal the case, then we'll get, we'll let you win without going to trial. So he said, seal the case. <laughs> anyway, um, so that's the main thrust but uh, along these same lines again. So what you've got here is you've got a judge who's taken an oath to the people to support the Constitution, and he's also taken an oath to a uh, public corporation called the Bar uh, with an executive oath. And this kind of goes back to Paramount Law. I believe it's... Uh, give me a moment. I think it's Matthew 6.24... No one, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. Uh-huh. Does that sound familiar? Yeah, I'm familiar with that one. And okay. then the other one, you can you either serve mammon or God, as they say. That's the, I, that's the same one. I think that's how it ends. Um, uh, I, I, reference, I reference DOD as uh, yid heh or Yah. Right. So, at any rate, um, the, um, that's pretty much everything I wanted to relay as far as your remedy. Oh, there was one more thing. Um, I wanted to uh, express, uh, Dad, do we have very many other people listening? Uh, a few, yeah. Okay. Um, you remember I said, huh? Enough for questions, but go ahead. Okay. You remember uh, earlier when I uh, read that portion out of the Quorento I'm working on right now about the common law being brought over here from England? Oh, yeah. Article 7 of the Bill of Rights? Uh-huh. Okay. Um, here's what I wanted you to or make you aware of. And I, I've uh, cleaned this up a little bit and put it in PDF format, which I can send over to you to Dad, and you can make it available. Okay. Uh, it's entitled Misconduct in Public Office. It's from the United Kingdom. The source is Crown Prosecution Service. Um, you're going to notice if you read this that the English spelling of certain words is different than we do here. Like offense, we spell O-F-F-E-N-S-E, and they spell it C-E. Um, behaviors with an I-O-U-R instead of O-R. There's a few things like that, but you, like you don't have E-R. any Yeah, you don't have any certain words with E-R, they spell it with R-E. Right. But that's a French influence. Um, <clears throat> now, at the very beginning... Your your microphone is muffled. My what? There you go. Your microphone was muffled. Oh, I must have had my thumb over. I think um, so. Okay, I put a note in the top of this. I include this article because it makes direct reference to the common law of England, and it should be remembered that all extraordinary writs, including quo rento, are considered to be essentially common law remedies governed by the rules of common law, 
which the legislative power has no enabling authority to abolish or circumvent. So, um, they start this off under the header of principle. In the very first sentence, to show you how, how um, important this is in England, it says, misconduct in public office is an offense at common law, triable only on indictment. It carries a maximum sentence of life imprisonment. So in England, it's a capital crime. Can you repeat the first part of that sentence, please? Misconduct is what? Misconduct in public office in public office is an offense at common law, triable only on indictment. It carries a maximum sentence of life imprisonment, which means it's a capital crime, same as murder or kidnapping. Or piracy. Or misconduct, in pub, misconduct in public office is an offense at common law. That's correct in England. This is coming right out of the Crown Prosecution Service. It's kind of like an attorney general's opinion. So does it still stand as uh, the, the, the status that they have today? This is current. Okay. Wow. I'm not... I'm not going back into history on this. In fact, the article is several pages, 11 pages worth, um, goes into, um, uh, it references several attorney general's uh, writings on it. Uh, and this is where our common law came from. So what does that tell you? The way that it should be? <laughs> it shows you what's behind the, uh, official misconduct statutes in Oregon, which, by the way, Idaho does not have. <clears throat> I, Idaho has no uh, statute for official misconduct? Nope. What does Idaho have for the official misconduct? Basically, Colorento, uh, 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 but hardly anybody's used it in a long time, so... I'm going to be, basically, I'm going to be taking on the entire Idaho State Bar. Well, do you know what the Oregon Bar has done with the Quo Warranto here in Oregon? They've taken the teeth out of it. They say, because I've, I've, I've done one before, and it did, it did elicit special uh, attorneys from Salem to adjudicate it, if you will, lack of a better word. But when I filed the quo warranto, there was a there was a multiple there were a few of us on the quo warranto. We filed it against the Oregon Bar Association uh, in a probate case that I that, where they robbed my mother's estate in. And we filed the quo warranto, and then we filed it against them. We filed it against the uh, attorneys in in two counties. We filed it in one county, and they brought in attorneys out of Salem uh, to say that uh, by their statutes that. People no longer have a common law right to file for warrants that it must go through the district attorney's office, and he must sign on to uh, validate the quo warranto. Right, but what they failed to properly mention, 
No, what they probably failed to mention is, and this goes back to the Declaration of Independence. Um, again, I'm going to go back to my Corrento because I put it in there to forestall that kind of obstacle. Um, I put it in a different way. Well, what the way I put it in was... Okay, here we go. Whereas in the Declaration of Independence, 1776, makes clear that the legislative powers are incapable of annihilation, and whenever they are, in effect, abolished or abandoned or suspended in their operation, such powers return to the people at large for their direct exercise. So if the Attorney General refuses to prosecute the writ of Corrento, guess what happens? The power of that office goes back to the agreed party to prosecute it itself. The precedent is set in the Declaration of Independence. Um, could, could I, could I, I wasn't able to write fast enough to get those words, but I, I'd like to have that language. Hey, Ronald, do you have access to the Internet? Uh, I have to travel about five miles, but that's my access. Oh, okay. Because this is being recorded. Okay. I, I, I put mine in as an alternative writ of quo warranto. Hang, hang on. Let's, let's finish with uh, Ronald first, and then we'll go to questions. Um, you don't want to do it as an alternative writ because this isn't a show cause. Quo is not show cause. It operates similar to a show cause, but it's not show cause. It's a command. Produce your authority to get the hell out of the office. And what it does is it puts the burden on the uh, respondent, which is where it belongs in that particular kind of an action. The reason the bar doesn't like the common law is because it's very rigid. They'll say this in their own publications. It was It's too rigid. There's no give. There's no forgiveness. It's black or white, no gray. Well, okay, and it, so doesn't my, run, it doesn't allow it doesn't allow us to run run us through their their uh, statutory pleading process without valid. Well, right. They can't make any. They can't make any money. Um, yes. Now, as far as their license, you need to understand that their admission. They they can be admitted to practice before the bar by the Supreme Court, <coughs> but if they're going to use the courts as a place of business for uh, profit and gain. They have to have a business license issued out of the uh, out of the executive branch, just like a barber or a beauty salon or whatever. Um, hang it on the wall, and it has to have the seal, great seal of the state on it, uh, which is in the custody of the Secretary of State. Well, would that be would that would that be fitting for the for this question here then, which 
is of the Constitution. Well, just a second. The question is, which to the uh, so-called judge, uh, which office do you represent? Office of trust or office of profit? There you go. You can put it that way if you want. But you can do that with the uh, prosecuting attorney, too. Does he have a business license to use the courts as a place of business for uh, uh, personal profit and gain? Because what that implies, if you bring that issue up, what that implies is that justice is for sale to the highest bidder in Oregon. <laughs> They're not. They don't want to go there. <laughs> Which okay? Article One, Section Ten, as you point out in this talk tonight, justice is not to be for purchase. Yeah, that's in uh, Article One, Section um, Ten. You Ten. Said. All right, openly and without purchase. So, I mean, they can come in and practice pro bono if they want. And how about yeah. this? How about this as a side note, and, and I only ask because you, maybe you've done this research. I personally haven't done it, but I know of two others have gone and they've shared with me. They've been to the American Bar Association's website in D.C., whereby they have their own constitution that's on their very first page of the website. And it says that they do away with our effects. Yeah, well, I'm, I won't dispute that. The um, the other thing you can do, and remember, it's all about evidence. And this gets back to the name thing. Evidence, okay? yeah, key. Now, you know what nom de cure means, don't you? Uh, yeah, dead thing. No, it means it's a pseudonym or a war name. Oh, nom de, nom de cure? Yeah. Okay, corpus selecti is a dead thing. Nom de gear is the okay. Excuse me. Right. Say it. Right. Say it again. Then. Nom de nom de gear meaning what again? Say it again, please. It it's defined as a pseudonym or a war name. And you're spelling it N O M D E G U R E G U E R R E G U E R-R-E. Okay. Thank you. It's three words. Anyway, now this is something I've personally done. It's going to cost a little money, but boy, it is evidence that they don't want to deal with on the name. And this goes back uh-huh. to how we that goes back to how we wrote up the caption on that document I recommended. What you want to do okay. is go to the Secretary of State. Well, let's see. First of all, you need to go to the um, um Department of Vital Statistics. I think in Oregon, where when I went there uh, in Oregon, it's on the east side of the river, uh, downtown Portland, where they keep those records. You need to go there with with a couple of witnesses who can verify who you are. And oh, wait a minute, no, you, where were you born? You said you were born where? Washington. I was I was born in the Clark County, Washington. Okay, then you're going to have to go to Washington, wherever their vital statistics are, where they actually keep the actual documents, like the archives, Mm -hmm. and with a couple of witnesses, tell them that you want to see the original certificate of live birth on you, the one that's signed by your parents and by the doctor or midwife or whoever, Mm -hmm. Um, and you want to... 
stamp. They'll ask you why you want to see it. You say, I want to check the back, see if there's anything stamped on the back. Mm-hmm. Just, you know, because if they uh, pulled any of the usual uh, security stuff with that, uh, there may be stamps on the back. There was not on mine. But while I was there, I said, I want you to make a certified copy of this document, the original okay. document. Okay. So what they do is hey. they photograph. Hey, Monty, I've got to ask you just to hold for just a brief moment, please. Just a brief moment. I got people doing their chores in Mark's office. Okay. Thank you. Okay. Go ahead, Monty. Excuse me for interrupting. Okay. Um, then you have to have some to make a copy of that document, and they will typically photocopy it onto one of their certificates with the fancy borders and all of that, but it's an actual photocopy, and they'll certify that as a genuine copy of the original document. Now, in the newer ones, they use the name in all caps because they've already transferred the title. Uh, if you're old enough, like me, then it's going to be in title case. And uh, they even have your mother's name, maiden name on there, too, uh, as well as her signature. I'm in, possession, I'm in possession of that document as you describe it right now, apostilled by the uh, Secretary of State of Washington. Okay, good. Then you got that part done. I'm planning to. I'm planning to, as they say, memorialize that document here soon. Okay. Okay. Now, the, and and the, your name was in title case, right? Correct. Okay. Good. Now, the second part of that, in this instance because it's going to be used as evidence. You go to the Secretary of State of Corporations Division in Salem, and you ask them for a certification of the existence or non-existence of any domestic or foreign corporation, LLC, or assumed business name using the all-caps name. Say so. Certification of or for... Did you use the word of or for? Um, Certification of the existence or non-existence of the document. You just go to the Secretary of State uh, Corporation and say, I want you to certify whether or not this name, and you show them the name in all caps, um, whether or not there's any foreign or domestic corporation, LLC, or assumed business name in existence, with that name, or uh, if, it, if there are none in existence with that name, I want you to certify that. And what they'll do is they'll do this. They'll, they break that up. They do their searches on corporations separately from their search on assumed business names. So you're going to have to pay for two certificates. They will certify that they have... Okay, gotcha. Corporations and assumed business names, both. I'm looking for the non de guerre. Right. But I wouldn't get too... I wouldn't use a lot of legalese with them because it, it raises no, the I just, I, just did, I just did that for this for this talk. Okay. Because you're then, me and, and others. What they will do is they'll give you a certificate under seal. They've searched their records and they can find no assume business name or no foreign or domestic corporation that goes by that name 
that exact name. They use the word exact name, and they use the all caps. So now, this kind of goes back to the old uh, thing where if you can, if there's something you can't define directly, then you can you ha you're forced to define it by what it, by describing what it is not. So now, when you bring this back into your court case, as the aggrieved intervener, you say, well, you know, this is how I uh, print, write, and sign my name. you got an all-caps name. Um, I don't remember accepting any legal duty or obligation in relation to this thing. Um, do, you have any, do you have any record, uh, which is memory to a, a fiction, um, do you have any record that shows that? Is this against me or something that you created? If so, there's a fraud being perpetrated on the court. And by the way, my rights are violated. I want these bastards fired. I want to hit you with a quo Lorenzo. <clears throat> now, can the... This document that we've uh, built here tonight through this talk was not a court warrant. It was in the caption of the uh, uh, state of Oregon uh, in the county of Multnomah. But now... Uh, it's in the nature of a court It's in the nature of a court warrant. Now, right. can, this be can this be filed at, at, as well as being filed in with the trial court administrator, the court clerk's office, can it be filed into the Supreme Court as a stay or an injunction? No, because you're mixing jurisdictions. Okay. Okay. It can be used as evidence in a proper Colorento application, which, by the way, you have to first try to push a Colorento through the Attorney General's office. If he declines, then you can prosecute it yourself. In the nature. Okay. Well, you're what you're doing here is what you're doing here is you're you're gathering evidence. They're probably going to call up the Attorney General's office and say, what the hell do I do with this? And he's going to say, back off. Drop this thing like a hot rock. So this but, document that we've, that, we've, that we've worked on here through this talk, I, it gets filed first. Uh, well, it gets filed into the court clerk's office, but then it must go, I must file it to the district attorney's office. No, that's, a, after, that's afterwards. In other words, it's only in the nature of a quorento. It's actually a a demand for a bill of particulars. Right, right, right. Okay, okay. Gotcha, 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 gotcha. Okay? Mm -hmm. You're not up to okay. the point where you're arguing merits here. You're right. still asking for facts. What are the facts? What is your authority? Right, 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 right. Thank you for the uh, clarity. I needed it. Yeah. You can't argue marriage till you get the facts straightened out. Right. That's why I haven't uh, subjected myself to the alleged personal or subject matter jurisdiction of their so-called court because I haven't seen any of these bill of particulars thus far. And you can, yeah, and you don't have to limit it to what we've been talking about tonight. I'm sure you can think of more things you can put in there to ask them uh, uh, what's the basis for this, what's the basis for that. You know, like, it, essentially, a bill of particulars is, where the hell are you coming from? 
Right. Like I said, this has got a pretty extensive, pretty extensive, and from my own opinion, um, a pretty, pretty extensive and a pretty impressive case register. Yeah. I mean, it makes you've, done, you've done a lot of things right in this thing. You haven't done everything you should have done, but you've done a lot of things right in this that most people wouldn't have done. So now I'm putting the icing on the cake so you can win this thing. That's about oh, as far yeah. as I'm going to. That, that's about as far as I'm personally going to go on it. Um, I shared this with you because I think other listeners would find this information useful. Uh, not that I have anything against you personally, but um, you know, I, I at one time I carried such a heavy caseload, I just got burned out on it, and I wasn't getting rich doing it. <laughs> right. So all right. <clears throat> So, Chad, if you want to throw it open for questions, you can, because I've just about shot my watch for the moment. Yeah, well, we want to thank Ronald for coming forward and sharing his case. and It's been very educational and eye-opening. And so, Ron- thank you, thank you too, Ronald, for, uh, you know, working with me on this tonight. Well, and and likewise, I'd like to say thank you to uh, itsyourright.com and its proud sponsor, uh, Tad. And uh, you have the right.com. Oh, you have the right.com. Excuse me. <laughs> uh, and, and the fact that you both were willing to uh, use me as your talk subject tonight, because I really benefit a great deal from it. Well, I have one. I have one demand on you. In exchange for the information. Go in there and kick some butt. Yeah. Well, and let me and let me add. Uh, you know, uh, this this walk of mine and this this talk that I'm I'm being taught and have learned has not been without a great deal of, of sponsorship and support from from a lot of men and and one in particular I'd like to add for this call I'd like to state on this call because he can he can use our support. And that's uh, Robert Kelly with the America's Bulletin. Um, okay. I mean, he's he's been a he's been a friend and he's been a he's been a comrade and he's been there every step of the way with me. And he produces a good paper, in my opinion. It, it was my first mentor in learning this stuff back in the year 2000, and I still read the paper with religiosity today. All right, so we're going to go ahead and open it up for questions now. Thank you, Ronald. Um, If you have any questions, hit star 8 on your phone. And we have somebody else from uh, Oregon. Uh, It could be one of two people that I might know. Your (laughs) phone unmutes. It's your turn. Ta-da! I knew it must have been might be you. Hi. Hello, Tad, hello. and hello, Monty. Hello. You're Genevieve Ness. <laughs> wow, that was fascinating. That was fascinating, and I have a feeling I'm going to be coming up with a few questions for you about what you said tonight next week. <laughs> oh, okay. By the way, uh, while I have a chance here, Genevieve, yeah. Have you heard, have you um I've already uh mentioned this to Tad. Have you heard the um latest contribution to intellectual excellence in political debate? Uh, I'm not sure what you're referring to. Intellectual 
intellect, intelligence in political debate? Yeah. I don't know. I don't know apparently, much. Apparently, the question has been posed: Do fish fart? <laughs> and if, if it, and if so, what aggregate impact does that have on the environment, especially the ozone layer? And can it be can it be regulated uh, with tax credits? No. So I, think it, I think I think it's actually got into committee already for study. <laughs> Are you serious? Because I could believe it because of the stupidity that I've been hearing lately. Are you serious, um, Monty? Or is this just a funny joke? <laughs> what do you think? <laughs> I, I don't know. Uh, seriously, it's <laughs> the stuff I've been hearing is stupid. I think it's called. I think it's called satire. Okay. <laughs> I think it's called Julian satire, particularly. <laughs> Julian. Yeah, Julian satire is very um, acidic, very ah. vitriolic. Well, I'm sorry. I I. I was hoping I, you'd say that's absurd, and I'd say no, that's Congress. <laughs> <laughs> okay, go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> well, um, I have a couple of questions um, about what you were uh, telling Ronald, and mm-hmm. so okay, um, and like I said, I don't do shorthand. So one of the documents that you brought up for him was the verified notice of something, oh, prejudicial conflict of interest, et cetera, et cetera. Prejudicial. Oh, prejudicial. So what does the verified part of that mean? It means you're going to have to sign it under penalty of perjury. That I am or they are? You are, they because or, you are because what ordinarily what they require on a um, getting a judge off the bench is an affidavit of prejudice. That's what they recognize. And an oh. affidavit has to be signed under penalty of perjury. We're just altering the title on this a little bit, saying that it's verified, which means the same thing. So that when you're done with the document, you have to certify under penalty of perjury that the factual matters set forth here and above are the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the whole truth, insofar as you're able to perceive and articulate it. Yeah, I like that line a lot. I'm going to try to memorize that one. <laughs> well, it's easier to memorize this kind of stuff if you if you look up the words and find out what they really mean. Except I think that... Your exact word, I think your exact words were verified notice of demand for bill of particulars in the nature of quo warranto, was it not? It's yeah. a different one. That's, That's a, different a different one. one. Yeah. I talked about two different documents. Oh, ver- verified notice of prejudicial... Uh, conflict of interest. interest. Mm -hmm. In relation to Article 3 of the Constitution of the State of Oregon, demand for recusal. Right. In other words, you're you're kicking the judge's ass off the bench and they'll have to put somebody else in there. We did that once in Oregon. I think we kicked kicked off three or four judges in a row. Well, and that brings me to the next question, which is will they just keep appointing new judges and then you have to keep filing that notice? Pretty soon the case goes away because it's getting too costly for him. Oh, I, oh. <laughs> well, I had I did this once years ago, whereby they ended up trying the case in absentia. Oh. I was I was locked up in the dungeon, but I I recused ten. 
but the point is it's still binding because if they totally abolished it, it wouldn't be in the blue book. It wouldn't be published. And the, the comments put in by the Secretary of State's office is that the sections that were chopped out of Article 7 of the Constitution of Oregon <clears throat> have not been done away with legislatively, but they have been reduced to the status of a statute. Now, isn't that handy? For them? Yeah, for them. So where do they I get mean, the authority to do that? Well, if you want, there's an awful lot of fraud going on. It all centers, it, the epicenter on the fraud is the bar. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah, the bar and the Vatican and... <laughs> Grr. Oh. Let's confine it to Oregon for now. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, anyway, having said that, go ahead with what you were talking about. Oh, hell, I don't remember what I was talking about now. <laughs> okay, so, so go ahead, ask So that. do you have any more questions, or is that wrap it I up? I do have a couple more questions, if, if that's How okay, did I yeah. know that? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> You're psychic. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> No, um, I'm just seasoned with experience. <laughs> <laughs> Go um, ahead. Well, back again to Ronald. Um, okay, so they laid hands on him. That's, yeah, that's, called, a, that's called a seizure. Oh. They seized his person and they seized his property in the form of rights. And so, so what kind of remedy can he go after on that? Well, it's in the nature of a quo warranto. That's what he's going to okay. do is set it up for that. But the, but with a quo warranto, which I can barely say, <laughs> um, that's that's just getting rid of the people. That's not that's not giving him compensation for having been well, what I would call attacked. Well, you're right on that, but that that doesn't mean just because he does a quo warranto and gets him fired, that doesn't mean that he doesn't have other remedy to get restitution. Okay. He just can't use Colorento to do that. Okay. All right. And uh, let's see. And then the last question on this topic, Tat, is um, if the bar attorney or, gee, the question that I have written down, and hopefully you'll understand what I'm referring to, if he has a license for profit, what do you do then? He won't have. They can't issue that because they, they, if they did, they would be admitting um, the justices for sale in the state of Oregon. That's why they don't give them business licenses. Attorneys don't get business licenses. No, they get they get admitted to the to practice before the uh, bar of the court, but they don't have a a business license issued by the. Uh, Secretary of State's office to use the courts as a place of business for profit and hire. They have to have a business license for that. Kind of like they a truck driver needs a CDL license, a uh, medical doctor needs a medical license, that kind of thing? Yeah. Um, I mean, it involves other issues like they're, you know, it's a license that excuses them from committing the crime of fraudulent conveyances.
Okay. Well, I think I'm going to leave it at that and keep okay. my questions, my other questions that were just going to be about my stuff uh, for later. But I would like to, I would like to announce that we finally got our uh, schedule of fees and charges published for the first time this week. Good for you. Yeah. So, ee-haw. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and boy, were we blessing you. Oh, boy, thanks, money. You know, we were we were really grateful to you for sharing your wisdom. Um, okay. <laughs> I'd say it's my, I could say was it was as good for you as it was for me, but I don't <laughs> think that would be appropriate. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was very good for us. <laughs> All right, Monty. All right, and good uh, luck, Ronald. Thank, thank you, Genevieve. Genevieve. So there's no more questions on the board, Monty, and it's kind of uh, we're like an hour and almost 40 minutes into this, so I'd like to go ahead and wrap it up. And okay. Thank you for your fantastic uh, experience and knowledge that you're sharing with us. Mm-hmm. It's been great. So, um, Oh, one quick question. D- did you happen to notice if um, Paul was listening in tonight? Out of Michigan? Uh, Yeah, he's from Michigan. Paul, are you there? Can you hear me now? Oh, we can hear you, sort of, but your microphone sounds like you're across the room or something. Yeah, I'm in my car and I had it on speaker, so sorry about that. I'm going to interrupt and say thank you again, Paul. I've got more questions for you, so I hope you come back on. I would be glad to. It was fascinating stuff. It is. <laughs> <laughs> All right, now I'll butt out again. Thank you. All right, thank you. Okay, so, uh, Monty, what questions did you have for Paul? Well, I just wanted to uh, put it out there that um, – uh, as soon as you get the webinar thing put together, um, I think that uh, I'd like to work with him on some stuff. Absolutely. Okay. I think um, we can. Uh, I think we can be useful to each other. Okay. Me too. So I, so. I have a I have, I have a question for. Uh, <clears throat> well, uh, let me direct you, Chad. This is your. You're the host here. Uh, do you have a problem with me asking Paul if I could uh, have his number? Or if you'd be willing to give it to me? Um, why don't you email me? This is not the right form for that. Okay. Yeah, so, run, run it run it through Paul, uh, Chad on that, okay? Okay. Do I, is that all right with you, Paul? Yeah. 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 Uh, we, That'd be fine. Okay. okay. Did you hear Paul's talk last week? I did not. Ronald? Okay. I did. Okay, I don't I don't know that Paul is really up on criminal stuff at this point. Well, I can tell you a couple things I've learned. Okay. Uh, did you know that after you filed the bill of particulars, they got 15 days to give you the bill of particulars, and if they don't give them to you, within 20 days you can file a motion for error on the record and get relief under Rule 57 under the Federal Rules of Civil Procedure and make that whole court case go away. Well, there you go. That's one way of doing it. Yes, sir. Uh, yeah. Wow, that's that's really that's really nice. That's a nice piece of information. Okay. 
Yeah, and, 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 and Monty, since you mentioned it, since you mentioned the thing about age, I'm curious. I'm age 57. Are you younger than me? Um, no. <laughs> <laughs> I'm about 10 years older than you are. <laughs> well, nice, nice. Good, good to hear it. <laughs> okay. All right, so we're going to call it an evening. So, um... Paul, I tried to get a hold of you. So we Sorry about available? that. I uh, I had uh, a couple things that I had to get taken care of. I had a oh, buddy right. that was in trouble, so um, I tried to get him out before he got in trouble and got started. So okay. I already filed the bill of particulars for him, and uh, I appointed the prosecutor who was representing the people and accepted his oath of office and his bond, which they don't have. That's why they represent the people, and they don't represent themselves because – uh, they don't have a license to practice in law, and if you put their oath of office on the record, now they got to produce bonds which they don't have, and they were supposed to put an appearance bond and a probate bond on the record, and they never do. Oh. Okay, so uh, with that, yeah. I'm going to go ahead and wrap it up for the <laughs> evening before we go on any further. I like well, to keep these calls short. Chad, you opened up for one more question for me. Well, to who, Paul? Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what. Why don't you why don't you contact me privately and see if I can put you guys together because this is getting on kind of long and I want to kind of keep these somewhat short. You just want to keep us hungry for the show. Well, yeah. <laughs> well, okay, maybe that too. But We're I, I have a short attention span, so an hour and forty five minutes kind of it, <laughs> it kind of pushes the limits of my attention span. So. And I'm sure it's that way for others too. So yeah, but you could listen to it again. It's recorded. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I don't have the patience for it. <laughs> I will listen to it again because I got to break them up and, and uh, categorize them in the website. At youhavetheright.com. So you guys support this, support these calls by joining youhavetheright.com and sharing it with your friends, uh, so that we can bring you more speakers and more information like this. So. All right, so that's going to be it, you guys. Thank Thanks, you, Ronald. Guys. Thank you, um, uh, Monty, and thank you, uh, Genevieve, for your help, and Paul as well. Oh, thank, thank all you. of you. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll catch up with you next week, everybody. Good night. Good night. Good night. Good night. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.